Let's pray. Father, we ask for your mercy as we come and study your word together again. I pray that you'd help us. I pray that whatever we need to hear and see uh, in the book of Acts and the second half of the book of Acts would be uh, clear to us and that you would uh, shape us and encourage us and rebuke us and strengthen us through it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, this is uh, the second half of the book of Acts, um, starting in chapter 13, and you can see that the, the title, the, the, what I entitled this is, To the Remotest Part of the Earth. Where does that uh, phrase come from in, uh, in the book of Acts? Anybody know? It comes straight from the book of Acts. Not the end. Actually, it comes from verse, chapter 1, verse 8. Right? <laughs> it might come at the end, too. Let's see. How does this work? There we go. Here's the outline. Chapter uh, 1, eight, 1, verse 8 is the outline of the whole book. Right? And so Jesus says, before he ascends to heaven, to the, to the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's chapter 2, right? Day of Pentecost. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, that's chapters 1 through 7, the ministry in, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and that's chapters 8 to 12, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And that's chapters 13 through the end of the book. Where does it land? Where does it end? Hmm? Yeah, in Rome. Um, now, we'll, well, we'll get there, won't we? So that is the that is the um, the whole outline, really, of the advance of the gospel as it goes out from Jerusalem. So in this quarter, we're going to finish out the book, chapters thirteen to twenty-eight, and that's where we are. The gospel is moving out even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, that doesn't mean um, that uh, the rainforest in you know, around the Amazon. Okay, we don't we don't get there by the end of chapter twenty-eight, but we'll we'll talk about what that means when we get there. Now, um, the other thing before we jump in, this chapter divides into three main sections. So, chapter thirteen itself divides into three sections, and um, the first few verses, just three verses, the church at Antioch sent, sets apart Barnabas and Saul for the first official missionary journey. So that's what the gospel going out to the nations, right, to the ends of the earth starts here. And then secondly, verses 4 to 12, Barnabas and Saul preach on Cyprus and encounter the sorcerer Bar-Jesus or Elamas. Uh, and then third, verses, that's the biggest section, 13 to 52, Paul and Barnabas preached to the Jews in Pisidian Antioch, and the Jews reject the gospel, and Paul and Barnabas turned to the Gentiles. Oh, my. I hope I can do this. <clears throat> so that's where we are today. So let's look at these sections. What I'm going to do to save my voice and time, I'm not going to read the whole chapter beforehand. We're going to read it as we go, okay? So this is section one. The church in Antioch sets, sets apart Barnabas and Saul for the first official missionary journey. This is verses one to three. Here's what it says. 
Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about from just that one little paragraph, okay, that we don't have time to because I want to try to get through the chapter. Uh, But there are a few things I want to point out to you. Um, What do we know about this church in Antioch? Now, there are two Antiochs. We're going to see both of them in this chapter. This one is in Syria. We all know where Syria is because we watch the news, or right? This Antioch is in Syria. And then there's another Antioch, and I'll show you a map in a few minutes here, called Pisidian Antioch, and that's where the chapter ends. All right. Um, but what do we know about this church in Antioch? Do we know anything about it? You're going to have to think back to last, last time we were in Acts. It's back in chapter 11. All right, look at, look at what we know about the church in Antioch. And this is very important for understanding why, why the, this missionary journey is starting in Antioch. Okay, it's really fascinating. It says, back in chapter 11, verse 19, so then those who are scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, remember what happened to him? He was stoned to death. And who was standing there with him, or not standing there, but approving, right, was Saul. So when those who were scattered, the Christians scattered, because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So they're going out from Jerusalem, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. There's something different that begins to happen here in Antioch. Do you see that? Where they actually start reaching out to Greeks. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So you have this big church, that, begin, that gets planted in Antioch. A large number who believe turned to the Lord. The news about them spread, uh, reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch, right, to check things out, see what was going on. Then it keeps going. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, And again, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. These are different numbers. These weren't the first group. This is uh, more people who became Christians as a result of Barnabas being there. And so he's he's overworked. There's too many people. He can't care for them. This is Barnabas basically comes to be the pastor of this church. And so what does he do? Right? And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, this is uh, decades, I can't remember the timeline exactly, decades after Saul's converted, okay? And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Tarsus is Saul's uh, hometown. 
And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Barnabas goes out looking for, tar- for Paul, Saul, and brings him back to help him with the church. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught, again, considerable numbers. We don't, he doesn't give us the numbers, but considerable numbers, whatever that means. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, this term, Christians, was probably a derogatory term that stuck. Um, and uh, there were enough Christians, enough people who followed Christ in Antioch that they, that they had to have their own name, right? I mean, the, it, it, was, it was a cultural force, you could say. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So what do we know about this church in Antioch? It's, uh, it's what would you say, missions-minded, right? That's what we would say today. They, they, from the very beginning of the church, it's founded by people who are scattered because of the persecution of surrounding Stephen, and they start preaching in Antioch, not just to the Jews, but to the Greeks. Okay? And then uh, it gets help. They send down... Um, Barnabas, Barnabas needs more help. He brings on Saul. Considerable numbers, large numbers, such uh, such numbers that they have to they have to find a new name for them, right? Culturally, they have to make up a name for them. It's derogatory, probably. And then at the end here, <clears throat> they are they are. Um, generous, right? This is the first church we read, if I remember right, a church uh, collecting money to send off to relief, to relieve those in Judea who are having a a famine, the the Christians in Judea. All right, so that's the kind of church it is. And then, let me go back here. What else do we see about this church in Antioch? All kinds of gifted men. Barnabas, essentially the first pastor, right, of the church. Simeon, who is called Niger. What does that mean about Simeon? Is he a whitey? All right. He's probably from Africa. Well, I imagine he is from Africa if he's black. Lucius of Cyrene. And Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. So Menaean had been brought up with Herod, the ruler. So this is no, you know, this is a man who, in order to be here, uh, Calvin Calvin makes the point that um, you know he had to forsake his 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 uh, privilege, I guess you could say. Um, in order to be in this church and do what he was doing. Does that make sense? 
Listen, much of what I say today might not make sense, but <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Hopefully I'll be back next week. <clears throat> so so this is, this is the place where you'd expect this to happen. What's about to happen? What happens here? All right, this is the church, right? Large church filled with people who are from all different uh, ethnic groups and socioeconomic groups. They love each other. What are they doing? These men, I believe, are ministering to the Lord and fasting. So this is probably public ministry that's going on. So in the midst of their public ministry, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So these are the two founders of the church, and they send them away. The Holy Spirit says, send them away. Um, Here's a little lesson here. Um, Missions is not for the flunkies. Right? It's not for the guys who can't do anything else and can't handle being a pastor or can't, you know, hold the attention of Americans. So send them off somewhere and maybe some those those other people might listen to them. Okay? This is the cream of the crop. Barnabas and Saul, the founders of the church. All right. Now let's keep going. Any questions or thoughts? Observations? No? Bob, did you want to say something? Okay. So let's go to the second half, or second section here. Um, Barnabas and Saul preach on Cyprus and encounter the sorcerer Bar-Jesus. Okay, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, now note that, who sent them out in verse 3? When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Who's the they here? The church or the pastors, either one. And then it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. All right? These are, the Holy Spirit works through the church. To be sent out by the elders is to be sent out by the Holy Spirit in this passage, Right? So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. Now, which John is this? This is John Mark. This isn't John the Baptist. Of course, he's dead. It's not John the Apostle. This is John Mark. Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So they had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. All right, before we move on, let's just talk about this. Um, 
Well, no, let me finish and then we'll come back. I've got to show you a map here in a second. This is verse, the next, uh, I'm not sure what verse this is. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now we'll come back to this. Let's just get a, get a bearing of where we are. All right, so this is Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, we'll only get up to here today. In this chapter, they start out from Antioch. Jerusalem's down here. All right, so they go from Antioch to Seleucia, get on a boat, go over to the island of Cyprus, start at one end, and work all the way along the, end, uh, the island till they get to Paphos. And this is where they are right now, okay, with this bar Jesus guy. And then in a few minutes, they're going <laughs> to jump in another boat, then they're going to go up here, and then land in Antioch. This is the other Antioch. See that? Syrian Antioch, Pisidian Antioch. Everybody see that? All right. Hmm? Now, let's see what happens in this story. Okay. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And they got get down to the shore, to the coast, take a boat to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. We're going to see this over and over again, okay? That when they, when they come into a city, if there's a synagogue, that's where they start, Right? Why is that? To the Jew first, also to the Greek. That's what Paul says in, in Romans 1. These are God's ancient people. These are the people who receive the word of God, the covenant, the covenants. And they had the scriptures that spoke everywhere of Christ. And so they're constantly going to the Jew first. Uh, we're going to see how that works out in the next section here. So they start where they have an audience. And so they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, what do we learn about this guy, Bar-Jesus? Who is this man? Who does this remind you of, first of all, just reading it? Simon the magician. Same, he's a, he's a magus. That's the word that's used for 
uh, this guy. That's what this word magician is. Remember the magi? Magi is plural for magus. Magus means magician. Uh, it means all kinds of things. But that's one of the things it means. It could mean just wise man. It could mean there's several things it could mean. But what is he? He's a Jew, right? And it says, Luke says, he's a false prophet. And his name, this is not what his mother, this ain't what his mommy named him, named him okay? This is a title he took on to himself, Bar-Jesus. What does Bar-Jesus mean? It means son of Jesus. Okay. Now remember, this is, uh, again, I, I should have looked up the, uh, the timeline again, but didn't this week. This is a long time after. You know, this isn't days or weeks or months or even years after Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection and ascension. This is decades. Okay. And so this man, uh, you could say, well, maybe his daddy was named Jesus. You know, that was a name that was used. I don't think so. I think this is a title that he's taken on himself to give himself authority. Okay. And then it says his name, Elemis, the magician, for so his name is translated. This is weird because, no, actually, that's not how that name is translated. Okay. <laughs> it's like saying his name was John, which being translated as, you know, Bob. It's like, no, it's not. Um, there's, you could read about this. There's all, could be all kinds of interesting allusions and things going on to this with the Hebrew and the Aramaic and all this stuff, where all this comes from. I don't want to go down that, that rabbit hole, um, so I'm not going to. <laughs> but it's interesting. So who is this guy? Uh, what he says here in a minute on the next, in the next section, here I'll just go there. When Paul, Saul, who's also known as Paul, starts talking to him, we'll talk about that in a second, what does he say? You're full of all deceit and fraud, son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Okay. So who is this guy? Who is this guy? Um, I think he's uh, passing him. I think he's in the Christian community. I think he's passing himself off as a Christian. Okay, he's not. Uh, he's he's so he'd be a Messianic Jew, right? He's a he's a Jew who claims to be a Christian. Claims to be so connected with Jesus that he calls himself the Son of Jesus. He is a false prophet. False prophets, what is true about false prophets? Where do false prophets come from? Hmm? Well, yeah, Satan. That's not what I mean. What? From the church. False prophets, you don't have... Um, false prophets claim to be true prophets. I mean, it's kind of stupid if they're a false prophet and... So this is a man who is somehow in the church. He claims to be speaking for the Lord. When, when, the, when Paul here says, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? This is 
that, that word almost always in the New Testament is speaking of Jesus. Okay? And so he is a false prophet. He is claiming to be a Christian. He's claiming to speak for Jesus. He's claiming to be one of these, a prophet, someone who receives revelation from God in the New Testament. You have those in, in this time period. And yet he's, he's not speaking the truth. Okay, so that's who he, this guy is. And he's literally, it says, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So this is, a, this is not just a, a Jewish guy who doesn't like Jesus and who's like one of those enemies. He's inside. Does that make sense? It's interesting. This is very similar to what happened with Peter, right? You mentioned Simon Magus back in chapter 8 uh, of, of the book of Acts. When, when Simon, when Peter goes into public ministry, uh, for his first run-in is with a, a magician. When Paul goes into public ministry at this point in the first missionary journey, his first run-in is with a guy that's called a magician. Now, what's he say to him? Oh, uh, Okay, it's the next slide. Looky here. But Saul, who was also known as Paul. Now, there are all kinds of... Uh, this is the first time that Saul is called Paul in the New Testament. And there are a lot of misunderstandings about this. Um, what's the most common way of thinking about this change of name? You've probably heard it. What's that? What'd you say? Saul was a bad word. Saul was a bad word. Well, I've never heard anyone say that. <laughs> if you drive between here and Spencer, on the right side of the road out past Ellettsville, there's a place called Saul to Paul Ministries. Have you ever seen that? Okay. So people think somehow God changed his name, that God changed his name. He converted him and he changed his name, gave him a new name. Okay, that was indicative of his regeneration or his conversion or something. That's, that's not the case. Uh, I mean, just look how it says it here. But Saul, who was also known as, this isn't some God didn't come down and say, you know, Abram, now your name is Abraham. That's not what's going on here. Okay. He was also, he was already known as Paul. What's that? It's also known as Charlie. Yeah. David is also known as Max, yeah. <coughs> or Charlie, for that matter. So, some people say, well, Hebrew name, Greek name, actually Latin. Um, but I think there's more going on even than that. Um, Paul, Paul, we'll call him Paul now was born in Tarsus, and uh, it's interesting, no, there, are no, there are no records of any Hebrew names given in Tarsus to anyone born there. So, in other words, that wasn't his original name either. 
He probably was named Saul when he, became to, when he came to study as a, as a, to be a rabbi. He was given a Hebrew name. He was a Greek speaker. Okay, for that's one thing. We actually, I, I don't think we actually know what his original name was. What, anyone know what the word Paul, what the name Paul means? I mean, names mean things, right? Paul, it comes from a, a Latin word that means... Nope. Tent maker. No. It means humble or small. Okay. That's what, that's what the name Paul means. All right. So it could be that in the face of this bar Jesus guy, I mean, it just fits perfectly with, with Paul what, everything we know about Paul, he takes the name, not magnificent, you know, but he takes the name humble, small. Everything we know about Paul fits that. So it could have been that just like with the name Christian back in Antioch, as a derogatory term, it could be that this is what people called him as a joke, right? Um, kind of sounds like his Hebrew name, but means little guy, little runt. And he's like, yeah, I'll take that, sure. And then he, so if he, but look at him, obviously not a runt, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on this Bar-Jesus character, and says, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, not the son of Jesus, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. So this great wise man, right, the great wise man, bar Jesus, son of Jesus, actually son of the devil, and is, has to be led around by the hand, because the great wise man who sees all is blind. This is an example of a, this is kind of the, the opposite of healing, <laughs> right? Remember, the apostles often heal people. Sometimes they give people their sight. Well, this time, it, it works both ways. Just like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? Instead of raising them from the dead, he kills them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the apostle Peter did. Okay. The proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Any thoughts? Now we've got to the, the big section and we've got to run. Any thoughts or questions about this? He is not using a very charitable tone, no. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, absolutely. No, obviously this was public. 
This is uh, remember what they say about about Paul, the Corinthians in Corinth, uh, who he he doesn't compare with the super apostles, you know, and they say. Oh, you're, you're, you're all impressive when you write, but you're not very impressive in, in person. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Were you going to say something else? Well, just you talk about it being an anti-healing. Mm-hmm. And when someone believes in the Lord, sometimes they get, they get healed. This person gets anti-healed, and somebody yeah. standing by sees that, and, and they come to faith. Yeah. Because they see the authority that the Lord comes from. Yep. It's interesting. What does it say he's amazed at? The teaching of the Lord. Not just the miracle, but the teaching. Yes? You know, something that's always intrigued me, you know, you mentioned about how they were first called Christians. Yep. And then that reference of Josephus, you know, where he has that secular reference, you know, mm-hmm. and he refers to him as Christus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a well, let's let's move on here. We got to get through this. This is this is going to be fun. All right. So we're moving on to the next section. Verse 13. Um now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, remember the map? And go up 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 the the sea there. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. No explanation. But we know this comes back later, don't we? You know, we know what happens. It causes the split between Paul and, Bar- and Barnabas. Interestingly, um, all up to this point, it's always Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Now it's Paul and his companions, or Paul and Barnabas. So something happens there. He comes into the leadership. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue, of course, and sat down, and after reading the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So these men are obviously uh, traveling teachers, they're recognized by the, by the synagogue officials. Oh, we have guests here. If you have something to say, please say it. Okay, that would have been normal. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand. Now, I'm going to read this whole sermon. It's a long sermon. All right, but I want to emphasize something over and over again, and you'll get the point as I go through it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, so these are Jews, and you who fear God would be proselytes. These would be Gentiles who became, were coming in to, uh, to worship the true God in the synagogue. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. As I keep reading through this, notice there's, there's only one actor here. There's, only, there's one main character in this sermon, and it's God. 
over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's God. It's all about what God has done. He, the God of this people, chose our fathers, made them great, uplifted arm. He led them out of it for a period of about 40 years. He put up with them in the wilderness when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, God removed Saul. He raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. I mean, this is, uh, think about how much territory he covers in those few sentences. Right? Gets through, uh, you know, Abraham, Moses, the Exodus, cuts to the chase, David. And the point of talking about David is to talk about Jesus. God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So this is way up in the middle of nowhere, and he mentions John the Baptist, as if they knew who he was talking about which they must have. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. Now look at that sentence. (coughs) For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these fulfilled the utterances of the prophets by condemning him. Now think about that for a second. The, the enemies of God, the Jews, became the enemies of God, of Jesus, their Messiah, by, uh, and, and they put Jesus to death, but in so doing, what were they actually doing? They were fulfilling everything that had been written in the prophets. This this is amazing. The enemies of God are simply doing what God ordained in the most evil act in, in human history. And they're just doing what God said would happen. Okay? And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed when they had carried out all that was written concerning him. You see that? When they carried out all that was written concerning him. They didn't, that's, they didn't, know, they didn't think they were doing that. That wasn't on purpose. They weren't trying to be faithful to Scripture. Right? 
and yet God is using them. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him. Now remember, this is a sermon in a synagogue preached to the Jews. God used them, their brothers, even in their intense rebellion and hatred of God to bring about the salvation of the world. They took him down from the cross, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers all the way back to the patriarchs that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus and it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. That's Psalm 16, I think. For David, after he had served the purposes of God and his own generation fell asleep. So David died and his body rotted away and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. So in other words, this can't be talking about David. David died and rotted. But it says you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. The law of Moses doesn't free anybody. It lays obligations and gives no power to obey them. Right? Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Don't be like that. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, so I, I believe they met with these people throughout the week, and by the time you get to the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, it causes trouble. It's amazing. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with, remember this word? Remember the word jealousy? Over and 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 over again. That's the one word used to describe the Jews. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. So not just contradicting, but blaspheming, you know, about Christ, obviously. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, 
since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. Oh! And glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. This is what I was hoping to preach on today. So maybe some... Maybe the next time I get a chance, I will. But look at that. This is, the, this is literally the verse that made me a Calvinist. Out doing door-to-door evangelism with my youth pastor and assistant pastor at an independent fundamental Arminian Baptist church that I grew up in. And they were closet Calvinists. And uh, we, we were sitting in the church van after having gone door to door, and they said, hey, why don't you read that verse, Acts thirteen forty eight? I read it, and they said, what's the order of things there? Oh, as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated the persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their, their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium to shake off the dust from your feet. This, when a Jew would go into a pagan or a, a Gentile place, the, the dust was, was, was unclean. So they would shake off the dust from their feet. All right? What does that say about the Jews? What is Paul saying about the Jews here? You're acting like pagans. You're completely acting, you, yeah, you've judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. You're acting like pagans. We're done with you. And the disciples were con- continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Well, obviously, we have to be done. <laughs> I want to pray for you. Oh, thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our brother and his devotion to us and his willingness to teach us when he's sick. We pray that you strengthen his body hmm. and heal him and bless, continue to bless his work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. All right. We'll pick up next week with 14, and hopefully I'll be better.